Well, hey friends, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place for everyone to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. Today, we're gonna figure out how country music has to do with our message about King David. gave it away, but I have something that I need to confess today that I thought I would never share. Now in the past I've disparaged this. In the past I have had no problem making fun of it. In the past I have uh, very obviously shared my opinion on it, but I have to confess that I like country music. I know. Up until this summer, it was like the only music genre I never ever listened to, that I never really liked, that I never really enjoyed. And then something this summer changed. I don't know what it is. There must have been something in the water. But all of a sudden, my friend introduced me to this country artist and I all of a sudden had this like fixation on it. I listened to it all summer. I've listened to it all this fall. I just can't get enough of it. And I don't even know why, it just all of a sudden a flip a light flip switched in my brain and all of a sudden it was on to country music. Well, as I've listened to country music, um, of course there are some parts of it that are like fun and enjoyable and just kind of like a, an easy song to listen to, but I'm actually quite surprised at how much country music has to do with loss and pain and grief and heartbreak and pining after something or, or someone. Um, and it seems almost like country music kind of has the corner or the monopoly right now on the modern lament. Now, a lament is something that we uh, cry after, that we are uh, questioning about, that we have pain over. And country music seems to really kind of fill that void that we have, I think, as humans to like have those tough challenges because the, you know we're naturally inclined to love a love song. It gives us the warm and fuzzies. It makes us feel good. But there comes a point in our life where we also need those laments. Those moments where we cry out to God, where we don't know, where we question. And I think country music is kind of the, the genre that maybe has the monopoly on it. But the reality is, is true lament is more than a country song. It's more than a country song. Because a lament has, of course, it's at its beginning, heartbreak and, and disappointment and grief and pain, but it has an end that's much different than our country music or secular music likes to really display. Because the biblical perspective on lament is to be honest and raw and real with the ugly of our lives, but not to have that be the end of our cries. Because I think that um, modern secular music culture loves to lament. We kind of revel in the feelings of pain and grief because we don't have any way to communicate or talk about or express uh, the hope that we have. Where we kind of, it becomes self-seeking and self-serving. But the biblical perspective on lament reminds our hearts not of ourselves, not of the revel that we have in pain and hard feelings, but it, it's the one that reminds our, our hearts 
of the one who is hope, who brings comfort, who, who brings us beyond ourselves so that we don't have to revel in the pain to our dismay and have that be kind of the height of our experience. But there's no uh, more frequent display of lament in the Bible than in the Psalms. And as we continue in our series of the lineage of Jesus, we're going to look at one of the greatest psalmists of the Bible, King David. Because when you look at David's life, you see someone who isn't afraid of reflecting on the whole of human expression. He is someone who has experienced incredibly high highs, but he's also somebody who's experienced incredibly profound lows and who expresses both of these and everything in between in the writing of his psalms. And in particular, I think his psalms of lament are one of the most profound of all of his psalm writings, especially in our culture that doesn't know how to you know, truly lament, whether part of faith or not. But today, we're gonna to be looking at a particular psalm of lament that doesn't just have to do with outward enemies, with the pain that others have caused us, with the sometimes unexplainable distance we can feel with God, which are all contained in the Psalms. But today we're going to be looking at David's Psalm of Lament over his sin. Because I think this lament was truly a crossroads in David's life. One that would have changed his trajectory, whether for good or for bad. And so we're going to be journeying together today through Psalm 51, as we kind of look at David's reflection on his brokenness of his failure and also of his subsequent repentance and what that means for us today. So why don't we turn uh, to Psalm 51, but as we do that, let's quickly pray. Well, God, we thank you that you were with us. Through the high highs and the low lows, you were with us. God, we thank you that you don't give up on us when we sin, that you don't give up on us when we disobey your word, but God, that you have established a rhythm in our life or that we can walk in of repentance that brings restoration. And so God, I pray that our ears would be open, that when we hear some of these big and kind of challenging words, that we wouldn't turn ourselves off uh, in our listening, that we wouldn't turn off in our attention, because God, I believe that you wanna to speak to us today and that you are always speaking to us. And so God, we are here with open ears and open hearts and God, may my voice become quiet so that your Holy Spirit can speak through us, uh, speak to us and through me. God, we love you and we thank you and we pray this in your name, amen. Amen. Well, if you're finding yourself today without a Bible, uh, we would love to give that to you. If you live in our region here in Powell River, we would love to give you a physical copy. Um, we have a bunch in our office that we would love to give to you. If you go to myevangel.church forward slash Bible, it will give you a form to quickly fill out and we would love to send you one. Um, otherwise, if you go to your app store, whether that's the Google Play Store, whether that's the Apple App Store, you can just search Y-O-U version, all is one word. Uh, and that will be a great Bible app with lots of translations, with Bible reading plans. It's a great resource. And so we want to just let you know of those two things. Well, let's jump in. Now, many of us may know about King David. He's a very popular character in the Bible. Uh, he is a shepherd boy who became king. But I think to see a snapshot of his life is important and helpful for us to understand this psalm. Because David was anointed king as a shepherd boy. He was the last of the sons in his family, um, and he waited about 15 years before he actually ascended the throne from his initial anointing all the way until his ascension. This is because Saul was still king over Israel at that time, but he had lost the mantle of his kingship due to his disobedience uh, to the prophet Samuel and his lack of remorse at the revealing of his sin. 
And so he was, uh, his kingship, his title was rejected by God, but he still maintained uh, his role, I guess, as king until he died in battle and David was crowned king. But for David during these 15 years, it wasn't kind of just a waiting game. It's not like he just kind of worked his nine to five and, and waited for uh, the throne to be open. Instead, Saul chases David all over the land. There's instances of him throwing spears at him, of him trying to kill him, um, because he was threatened by David's leadership, because he was jealous of this shepherd boy. And so he tries everything in his power to drive him out of the kingdom, to kill him, to prevent this from happening. And so David was well acquainted, both with success and victory, like with Goliath, but also profound loss and profound heartache. And as much as uh, all of this experience, I think, was for the was preparation for the eventual moment of him stepping into the throne. Um, but I think that David is an important figure, also that that shadowed the Messiah, that Jesus himself is called the son of David. Um, and so he kind of foreshadowed what the true king of kings in Jesus would be. And David was considered in scripture to be a man after God's own heart. And yet, just like all of us, David lived a life that was far from perfect. You know, the historical context of Psalm 51 is through the lens of uh, what's found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 to 12, where David, supposed to be at war, uh, is not there. He sees Bathsheba, this woman, um, bathing on her rooftop, which is strange, but whatever. Um, he sends for her, he, he takes her, he commits adultery with her uh, after lusting, obviously after her, and then gets her pregnant, tries to cover up this transgression um, by having his, her, her uh, husband, Uriah, um, you know, like killed eventually, and so he eventually dies on the battlefield. And he tries to cover up all of this thing um, over and over and over again. But God brought the prophet Nathan to David to rebuke him in his sin. And this is kind of the perspective in which we find that Psalm 51 was written. So even before we jump into the psalm, I think it should be a comfort to know that David was a man, was a man after God's own heart in spite of his sin and his failure that he wasn't by any means perfect. And yet he was considered somebody who followed after the heart of God. Because our perfection doesn't earn us the title of being a man or woman of God. But instead God's mercy, his grace, his righteousness, his reality that he's the one who justifies us, those are the things that qualify us to be somebody after God's own heart. And so if you're here today, and you're on our stream today, and you're kind of feeling that prickly, maybe a little bit warm, uncomfortable feeling that sometimes comes when we talk about sin and repentance. I want you to know that God is somebody who uh, sees those things and wants to restore you. That he doesn't see you as those things, but that repentance is a way in which we experience the restoration that he wants to give us. And so we're going to look at Psalm 51 together because I think it dispels some misunderstandings about sin and repentance and shame uh, that can keep us in a spiral that can keep us in a spiral of shame, never quite dealing with our sin. And I think it's also important to define what uh, repentance is. Repentance comes from the word metanoeo, or to change one's mind. So it's just changing our mind to our relationship to God. Change, it's changing our mind to um, you know, the way that we're living. But it's not just changing our mind and, being, and it being a simple sorry. 
Um, there's this idea of changing in direction that comes from it as well, where we're kind of walking down this path of sin, we're walking down this path of disobedience, and we change our mind, that we realize that that is not the path that we want for our lives. And it's not just a changing of our minds, but it's a turning around and coming back into relationship with him. And part of that turning and coming back is the restitution of um, the restitution that we have to have of the, the natural consequences of our sin. Because our sin doesn't just hurt us, but it can hurt other people as well. It ultimately is offense to God. And so we have to walk in that restitution of repairing relationship, of um, you know, walking through those consequences that come uh, in our earthly time here. So it's kind of this whole turning and this whole idea for contrition towards our sin. And I love Psalm 51 because it gives us such a clear picture of the rhythms of repentance that believers walk through. Now, I love it. It's not easy. Um, but I think that there's great life and hope that we find when we walk in repentance. So we're going to jump into it. Verse 1 to 2. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my, my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Well, here we see that honest and raw vulnerability that's very characteristic of David, that he pleads for God's mercy, that he pleads for God's steadfast love. In other versions, it may say his loving kindness. And, and this is the first step in walking out repentance, the confession of our sin without excuse, where we don't try and explain it away, where we don't try to justify it, but we simply just come to God with the honesty and the confession of our sin without excuse. And the word for steadfast love or loving kindness is hesed, which is uh, God's covenantal love with his people, where it's not based on our um, action or not based on our goodness, but that it's actually based on his unfailing, unchanging love to his broken and needy humanity that it's this covenant. So it's this agreement between two parties, God and his people, where we break it all the time. And yet God always upholds his end of the bargain to love us. And that's kind of the love that, that David kind of flings himself on in the beginning of this Psalm. And it's so interesting because David uses all three words typically used in the Old Testament for sin in this passage. In our translations, it will say something like transgression, iniquity, and sin. Transgression is the idea of crossing a boundary line. So there's like the standard that we've crossed over. Um, iniquity has a sense of perversion of something that's, that was originally good. And sin is the idea of an archer missing the mark of a target. And what David is saying here by using all three of these words is that there is no avoiding it. It is sin in its totality. That's not just this like simple, small mistake, but that it is sin. He has this very um, kind of obvious and clear view that it is sin. And there's also no shying away from what he has done. And so once David repents, he doesn't shy away from that darkness that had persisted in his life. Now, this act of repentance by David doesn't come uh, until about nine months to a year after his failure with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah, uh, when Nathan the prophet, like I said, exposed David's sin so he could walk in restoration. So I wonder if at that point where he, the, his sin is revealed and he can't uh, kind of hide it anymore, if he's come to the end of himself, where David has tried everything and nothing works, 
he's kind of hit what we often call as rock bottom. And I think as challenging and as tough and as sometimes scary as rock bottom can be, we see here that it's an opportunity. That it's an opportunity to plea for the one who can pull us out of that bottom. Where he said, I've tried everything else, God. I've tried to cover it up. I've tried to ignore it. I've tried to move on, but I've exhausted every broken human possibility and I need something more. I need your faithful love to restore me. Well, I think it's our natural inclination when we sin to kind of hide, to appeal to many things when we sin, whether that's blaming somebody, whether that's just pretending like it didn't happen, whether it's minimizing what you've done, uh, trying to cover it up, trying to justify it by counterbalancing it with all the good things that we've done, um, or just compartmentalizing it, where we just shove it away in a box and keep it there to not open again. And this may work for a while. You, you may find temporary success in it. I mean, David did for his nine months-ish, but it won't last. It won't last. We can exhaust everything in this world to try and rid ourselves of that mistake, of that sin. But there is nothing in this world that will bring us restoration except for the love and the grace and the mercy of God. His said love isn't tied to our goodness. It's not tied to us living without sin, but it's tied to his faithfulness to us, that he offered it to us while we were still sinners and while we, while we still sin again, that he offers that love as a gift as an, as, and as a grace to us today. We can't earn it. We can't earn that love. But when we sin, we can freely access it when we come to him with an honest heart. Friends, God doesn't want your sugar-coated, sanitized, tidied up confession. He wants us in your brokenness. He wants us in your honesty your like stark openness, because I think it is with this heart that God can truly bring a restoration and a wholeness to our lives. And I understand the humbling that comes with the confession of our sin. I understand the humbling that comes with, with having to bear some of those consequences. And, and the enemy would love to convince us that bringing our sin to light means condemnation that it means the end of us, that it means the end of what God has promised us, but it's actually a chance to receive the restoring of all of those things again, to receive the steadfast love and mercy of God. But it requires a bold step. It requires a step of honesty. Now, God may not remove the, the present consequences of our sin, but he does remove the eternal ones, which is death and separation from him. And so God just wants your confession, that when we choose to walk, that that's kind of the first step in walking out the re repentance is the honest and open confession to God. We're gonna continue on in verses three to five. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me." Well, verse three brings such a vivid picture that, that David's sin is ever before him. Now, I think this picture actually has dual meaning to it. Stay with me as we kind of unpack both sides of the coin. Because the first one, the first picture, 
It's trying to look beyond uh, this moment of sin, but kind of it getting caught in your face, where it's always before you, where it's like right in front of you, where it seems like this unsurmountable obstacle that's in front of us, where it seems like sin is always up in our face trying to like obscure our view. And did you know that there is an enemy that is vying for your soul today? That he wants to obscure your vision of your future by keeping your sin in front of you. Because when we only see our sin in front of us, it reinforces this destructive and powerful shame spiral. That there's a cycle of shame that you'll see kind of on our screen right now that, that begins to happen and, and run in circles and circles and circles. And this is the cycle of shame that the enemy would like us to get stuck in. The spiral of trigger, of acting out, of shame and guilt, of pain and secrecy, of isolation and separation, that's kind of this endless loop where we continue to self-sabotage, where we continue to self-destruct, where we can so easily get stuck in the shame spiral that doesn't just cause us to run in circles, that causes us to run in circles and pulls us further and further and further down because like David said, our sin is ever before us and then it's replicating within us as we get stuck in this spiral. Because shame convinces us that we need to hide and that we need to remain hidden. We actually see this all the way back in Genesis, the very beginning of humanity, at the fall where Adam and Eve disobey God and it's revealed that they're naked and they become ashamed. And what do they do? Well, they try to hide from God's presence. They hide from God's presence. And from that day forward, shame's best tool is to convince us to hide to convince us to cover up, just like David. But the reality is we cannot hide. God found Adam and Eve in the, Adam and Eve in the garden, and we can't hide either. That God had already seen all that David had done, and he knew all of those things. But shame, it will convince us that we have the ability to hide from our sins, that we can hide our sins from God, that we can hide it even from ourselves, but when we do that, when we remain in that hiddenness, it's like a slow, toxic, imperceptible death that comes when we hide in shame. But this doesn't have to be the way. This doesn't have to be the way. We don't need to hide and get stuck in this spiral that God provides us another way and that other way is through the rhythms of repentance. The rhythms of repentance that see our sin and expose it to the light so that we can walk in his forgiveness that comes from his death on a cross. That we don't need to get stuck in this spiral over and over and over. But I think that there's kind of another side to this coin as well. Noel verse 3 does speak to the enemy trying to reinforce shame in our life. I think this is also about the Holy Spirit's conviction. Now stay with me on this. Because sometimes I think it can feel like our sin is ever before us because the Holy Spirit is convicting us to turn from that sin, to find restoration in God's grace and forgiveness. Now, the Holy Spirit's tool of doing that is far different than the enemy's, of course, because sometimes it can feel like uh, sin is ever before us or, or that it's unrelenting because God's spirit of truth doesn't want you to settle for anything less than full and total restoration and freedom. But the conviction of the Spirit doesn't bring shame or condemnation. This is the difference. 
That's how we distinguish it between if it's the enemy trying to keep us stuck in shame or the Spirit giving us an opportunity to walk in freedom. Because it's not that the Spirit um, keeps us at the forefront so that we can feel horrible about what we've done, but so that we can maybe feel the weight of sin and then understand the weight of grace that is far more. That the freedom that we can have is at the beginning of walking out in that repentance where the Spirit of God doesn't want us to settle for anything less than full healing and restoration. It actually says in God's Word that it is His kindness that leads us to repentance, not His anger, not His um, condemnation or Him pointing a finger back at you, but it is kindness that leads us to repentance. And this break, breaking of the spiral that we have comes from our repentance. But, but let me be clear, it's not out of our own effort. It's not out of if we just try harder to resist that sin. It's not out of our effort to try and modify our behavior. And we'll see what it is about as we read verses 6 to 12. It says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall, I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your spirit of holiness from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Well, God delights in truth in our inward being, and wisdom in our secret heart. And this is such a beautiful picture of what God does when he breaks the spiral when we turn from our sin, that he doesn't just want to modify our behavior. He doesn't just want to modify our behavior. That's certainly part of it. But he first and foremost and chiefly wants to transform us from the inside out, where he wants to do a work in our hearts and our minds because our sin is often something that hardens our hearts, that hurts our minds, that sears our conscience, it's called. And so God wants to transform that. Because when he heals the emotions that we have, when he heals the, um, the challenge in our mind when we have sin, is those are the things, that inward transformation, that brings outward change. And so if you feel like your sin has rooted so deeply within you, I want you to know that God's truth and his wisdom, his love, and his mercy will always burrow deeper to uproot it from you. Romans 5.20 says, But where sin multiplied, grace multiplied even more. Because your sin will never run deeper than God's grace towards you. That he is always able to not just cut out the sin, but to fill, fill that emptiness with his truth, with his love, with his acceptance towards you. Mike Todd, a popular pastor in the States, says, sin is an illegitimate response to a legitimate need. And I think this is what God's forgiveness and grace gives. That it's not just modifying what you do, but it's transforming who you are by filling our illegitimate response with his legitimate, powerful, satisfying truth. Friends, God's mercy is greater than the darkest parts of yourself. That he delights in transforming your life by his love, his truth, his grace, and mercy. 
And by the way, when, when we talk about grace and mercy, they kind of seem like the same word, but mercy is the withholding of something that we deserve. And grace is the free gift of giving something that we don't deserve. So that's kind of how we distinguish between the two. So if you're tired of behavior modification, that doesn't quite work. Can I suggest to you to turn your eyes from the one who brings or to the one who brings life transformation that happens not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Because when we allow sin to persist, I think it causes us to very easily fall away, to give up. And I'm tired of that happening. I am tired of watching friends and people that I looked up to fall away because they never fully walked out that season and that rhythm of restoration and repentance. And this is the gift of repentance, that it breaks that cycle, that that cycle of people that I know walking away can be broken by repentance. It breaks the cycle at the moment where we feel conviction rather than shame and that we choose to confess. And as a cycle is broken, secrecy turns to honesty. Isolation turns to forgiveness. Separation turns to reintegration but it comes from a total restoration of our heart and our mind and our soul that's given to us by God and his grace, him giving us something that we don't deserve. And so some of us today need to break that cycle, that we need to break that cycle in our lives, that we need to break that cycle of sin that we found ourselves stuck in, that we need to walk out in repentance because we've been stuck. But friends, we cannot break the spiral, the cycle on our own. We actually don't have the strength within us to do so. This is actually a work of the Spirit that gives us the grace to have the strength to resist sin, to have the courage to bring restitution to those that we have hurt, and to go forward after that in looking more and more like Jesus each day. And what's waiting on the other side of that repentance is a cleansing, is a purging, is a healing, is the blotting out of our transgressions from God's log, is the turning away of God's face from our sin back to us. And there's a radical middle, I think, that we need to stand in as we walk out repentance, that we need to recognize that we are all sinners, that we are all sinners saved by grace. But we're not like in that, we're not like this dirt and muck of the earth that are unlovable and un unreachable and you know, unworthy of God's love and his grace, but neither are we those who are simply just saints. That we've kind of had that full and total cleansing and purging of sin, that we don't need God's grace anymore because we've been perfected. I think we need to find that middle ground. And this is the balance that he brings, that we are worthy uh, because he says so. That there's nothing that we could do to earn that, like that we are to some extent just sinners but that God has said that we are worthy. That we are somebody who's on a journey of the old self being taken off, like continuously taken off, and the new self being continuously put on day by day, moment by moment of repentance and restoration. And there may be some of us today, maybe you're on the stream today, that you're so used to feeling shame that you have forgotten what it's like to feel clean. I've been there. I've been there before. You know, in high school, um, in grades eight and nine, I, I, you know, was kind of walking the path of Jesus, so to speak, and, and doing my best to walk in that. 
But there's something that switched in my senior years and I sowed all of my wild oats where I very many weekends would find myself at the bottom of a liquor bottle where I was drunk and intoxicated with my friends, where I would go to a party sometimes on Friday night and still be drunk on Saturday night in church services, where I had seared my conscience so powerfully that I never even gave a thought to the impact of what I was doing, to that, that, that impact of my future, the impact on my family, the impact on those around me that I've hurt, where I engaged in things that when I look back could have started me on a path of addiction and destruction and lifelong pain. But there was a moment where even in my seared conscience, even when I was so far beyond caring that I didn't even hide in shame, but felt kind of a sense of pride in my sin, that God got a hold of me, that he got a hold of me, that the spirit of God caught my attention again and he led me through a season of repentance where I had been covered, so covered by the dirt of my sin that I had forgotten what it was like to be cleansed, that I had forgotten what it was like to be whole in Christ. But when I chose to walk out that season of repentance, it completely transformed my life. It broke the bonds of shame. It broke the bonds of insecurity that I was trying to fill. It broke the bonds of this need for belonging that I was searching for in the bottom of a bottle. And he cleansed me and he broke that cycle. And I get to share on this stream now only by the mercy and grace of God who brought transformation as I walked out in repentance because I had disqualified myself in every way. And I thought that that was the end, but God's mercy and grace restored me. And I was able to continue walking in what he had for me which is what brings us to the last part of this Psalm. Verses 13 to 17 says, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. What a powerful picture that our worst moments can be our, so our greatest source of testimony. That God doesn't just transform our lives in repentance, but he transforms our stories too, so that they can be used to bring others into a relationship with him, to bring others in the knowledge of his love and his grace and his mercy and the breaking of that cycle of shame, that he can redeem your situation. He can redeem your family. He can redeem those relationships you've broken. He can redeem your life that can be used as a testimony to his grace and mercy to a world that is dying and broken and hurting. Because where shame seeks to silence, repentance leads to praise. That walking out may be hard, but it will lead to praise. You know, I think the people that walk with the limp are some of the most inspiring people in my life because I think it shows such an incredible testimony of a life transformed. And you know, it's easy to disagree with theology or academia, but it's much harder to disagree with a life transformed. And God can do that for you too. He can even do that for you today, whenever you're watching this stream. And he can use your story of repentance 
to bring others into knowing the joy of God's salvation. Well, you know, I've had a lot of cars in my life um, that ended up being lemons. Up until the car that I own now, um, every one of my cars that I owned had, a, at, at the very least, a yellow check engine light on. And you know what I would do with that check engine light on? I would simply ignore it. Pretend it's not there, pretend it wasn't happening, just keep driving, that the noises that started coming as a result of this, just turn up the dial of the radio just a little bit louder and just completely ignore it. And you know where that led to with at least one of my cars. The entire engine blowing up and my car being then unusable. I wonder if some of us had maybe, have maybe had our check engine light on for a really long time now where it's been yellow for a while and maybe it's starting to turn to red. I wonder if it's maybe time to stop ignoring that light and instead to do something about it. To do what it takes to make sure that we are whole and healthy again, not just for ourselves, but for our family, for our relationships, and most importantly to honor God. That some of us need to walk out that season of repentance. But I can't force you nor am I going to try to convince you to walk in repentance today. And I don't want to, because to force or for me to convince you won't bring any true repentance. It needs to be the Spirit of God that inspires that choice within you. But what I can do is encourage you to make space in your life to hear from the Spirit, to hear the conviction that may come to walk out that repentance by saying, you know, God, I have sinned. I need your mercy. I need your forgiveness to walk out in that restitution. Because I know that I'm on a journey of renewal today. And I really hope that you would be too. Because as David's psalm ends with him bringing praise, I think it's important for us to do the same. Because we can praise in the middle of our storms. Because shame is going to try to silence us. But, but repentance brings a sense of praise. Because yes, sometimes walking out repentance is hard. Sometimes it, it has some consequences to it, but it will be your freedom. It will be your life abundant. It will be your testimony that you can share. And those are the things that we praise as we walk in repentance. And so I wanna encourage you to maybe take some time to read Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 to 24, that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there is any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. I want to encourage you as we end this stream to take some space in God's time and in His Spirit and as an act of worship to walk out that, that repentance if the Spirit is inspiring you today. That maybe you're journeying in faith now and you want to take that first step in walking out that very first repentance and accepting Jesus as Savior. Well, He is willing to restore you then as well. And so if you want that, we would love to walk with you in that. You can DM us or message us or phone us on our church uh, phone. And we'd love to just walk through that with you, to celebrate with you, um, to walk out that journey with you. And so I want to encourage you to take some space as your act of worship today to see if you need to walk out in repentance, and if not, to praise in the midst of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you can break chains in our life. God, we thank you that you can break the spiral and cycle of sin 
and that you can not just break it, but restore us, renew us, that you can transform us, and that your love and your grace and your mercy are what leads us to repentance. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you would search us and know us, that you would try us in our anxious thoughts and that you would see if there's any grievous weight in us. And if there is, that we would choose to walk in repentance so that you can lead us in life everlasting. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that repentance is not the end, but it's the beginning of restoration and freedom. God, I pray that we would walk in that freedom today. We love you and we thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.